there. This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative people about how they do their thing and how they keep it going. Today, my guest is a filmmaker named Jonathan Waisaki. He made a movie called Drama Rama that I saw at a Outfest Frameline and streaming film festival. Uh, sometime during the pandemic. It's all a blur. Uh, and I loved it so much. Now it's out available for everybody to watch online on their various streaming platforms. It's a uh, kind of a coming of age story set in this group of drama geeks in high school on their last night of school. And they related to it so much. I was one of those kids. And so I was so excited to talk to Jonathan about that. Before we get to the interview, I want to take the chance to remind you that there are now two ways that you can enjoy this show. You can listen to it as you always have through whatever podcast app you've been listening to, or you can become a subscriber to DNR Studios. I am one of a group of uh, several, many podcasts that are part of this family now, and for twelve ninety five a month, you get to listen to my show and all of these other great shows, and you get to support us, and uh, it, it, it helps us keep it going, and you get great shows, and you're going to get this show uh, 48 hours earlier than the average Joes that just listen through the regular app, so there's a little incentive for you. Um, you can learn more about that at dnrstudios.com. You can also download an app, the DNR Studios app um, on iOS. All right, that's enough plugs. Let's get to the interview. Here is Jonathan Waisaki. Joining me now via Zoom is Jonathan Waisaki. He's the writer and director of the film Drama Rama. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you so much, Dennis. It's a pleasure to be on. I'm so excited to talk to you because I saw your movie during COVID as part of a film festival and I just remember loving it so much. I related to it so much because I was those kids. Um, I want to get into the making of and all of, the, all of the details, but I want to hear how you describe the movie to someone that hasn't even seen it. Sure. So uh, it's set in a small Southern California town in 1994, and it's basically about a group of repressed theater nerds who have their last murder mystery slumber party before they all go off to college and go their separate ways. Uh, and so we're basically sort of tracking the end of one chapter of this friend group and going into the next chapter. And kind of at the center of it is uh, a kid who realizes he's gay and wants to come out to his friends and has sort of set this deadline to do it on this last party that they're all having together and is trying to get up the the gumption to actually go through with, uh, you know, telling his nearest and dearest this secret that he's kept inside. I was a drama kid in school. I was on speech team. I was also raised Mormon. So these are like good kids, and there's a religious element to them. Nobody's drinking. Nobody's having sex. This isn't euphoria. And so many teen things are about wild teenagers doing things. And this was like, no, this was what I remember, like, the peer pressure was almost peer pressure to be good. It wasn't peer pressure to do the bad thing. It was peer pressure to like be upstanding and be a good kid and don't get in trouble. Right. Is that how you were sort of experiencing that time? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That was, you know, that was my growing up experience and it was my peer groups, you know, growing up experience as well. And I feel like, you know, what's interesting about coming of age films is that, they tend to center on stories about adolescents that can't wait to get into adulthood. And right. so, you know, you have like the sex and the drugs and the drinking and, 
the rebellion and and whatnot. And uh, I I always sort of struggled on a realistic level to connect to a lot of those movies because, you know, I would, I would tap into the angst fine, but the actual behavior, I was like, well, none of that happened in my exactly. <laughs> in my life. Nobody that I knew fucked up high. I no. mean, <laughs> maybe they did, but we didn't talk about it. No. Like, you couldn't dream of talking about any no. of that stuff. Um, were you a speech kid or a drama kid, a music, a choir kid? What was your I was, domain? Oh, I, I was a drama kid, full, right. full on. Okay, yes. so yeah. you were doing shows, you were doing theater, you were having cast was, parties. Yeah, I was doing shows. I was in. I was usually in three shows at the same time. Like oh, some yeah. of them were at school, some of them were in the community. Uh, I was, you know, getting straight A's. I was, you know, I, I was, I was, I was the overachieving, you know kid who was expressing all of his repression through right. the theater. If like I do all, everything right and everything good, they can't um, hate me for that other thing that yes, shall they, not be discussed. Yes, they can't find out what's really going on right. with all of it. Yeah. What was the, did you ever get paid to perform And I, I when you were young? Because I asked that because when I was in college, I got cast in The Music Man in the chorus and it was at Arizona State University, but it was separate from the school. It was like a professional company. So I got paid $75 to be in this show. And I was so proud. And I made a Xerox of the check because it said actor in the in the four line. And I sent it to my mother to say, like, look, I'm getting paid. And she actually deposited it in my account. And it went through. So it became a bit of um, bank paperwork that had to happen because I, you know, got paid twice for the same check. But it was very exciting that I kind of you know, got into a professional show. Oh, it's that's fantastic. No. Right. Yeah. I, the, the only time I ever got paid was I actually, uh, my last year in high school, I started working for an illusionist. Oh, that's so cool. And I was like the comic relief of the show. Okay. And they opened, they booked some giant convention at the Anaheim convention center. And there were hundreds and hundreds of people there and I had to warm up the audience. Oh my gosh. That's so daunting. <laughs> and I, I did a song about that had facts about Anaheim to the tune of God. That's good from Sweeney Todd. Oh man. Wow. That is, that is the deep cut of geekdom. It was, um, yeah, it was, I don't even, I don't think it went over well. Right. Like I think it was, I, it, I got paid. Yeah. Were you in a lot of musicals? I wasn't. No, I, my, my singing and dancing was like, so, so right on. It was definitely not my, my forte. Um, I, I did, I did a lot of, a lot of comedies, a lot of dramas and then youth theater mostly. I, yeah. I love it. So your party with these five kids starts as a murder mystery party. And have you ever actually attended a full-on murder mystery party? Because I know we've oh. all heard of them, but I've never really done it. Oh, we threw them all the time in high school. Oh, so it was full-on. and it would. Oh, yes. My feeling about them is that they're like games of Monopoly. They start good, and then they just kind of fizzle and like whatever. But I, I, I think you can prove me wrong by talking about the whole journey of a good murder mystery party, having experienced many. Yeah, so so we used to do two varieties. One variety was actually like a predetermined one, which, right on, 
was called How to Host a Murder, and they had different themes. You could buy those in a store. I bought you one and buy, never yes. opened it. Yeah, so yeah. we would we would just follow the you know okay play play it out that way. But the the ones that were more fun were like the the sort of scavenger hunty ones mm. that we invented ourselves, where you know one person was in charge and they would plant clues and you know they they assign characters and a theme and then you'd show up and then the murder happened right <laughs> which was usually the the host of the party was killed and then you had to follow the clues that that person had planted uh in order to solve the mystery so they were triumphs of imagination oh, yes absolutely and what you know something that's funny in making this movie is that i found I've not only found people that did the same thing we were doing in the nineties, but that have are st- have done that every decade since. Oh, that's and cool. That, that there's actually, <laughs> this is, this really is actually a thing for, for people, uh, that for generations, I guess, have enjoyed making up murder mystery parties. One thing that your movie captures that is different with drama kids than, other groups of friends is there's the feeling of, Oh, she's the most talented one. Oh, she always gets, she's Lori. She's not Ada Annie. Like it's like the people have the mystique based on how they got cast and how good they are and where they're going to go. And like, there is this pecking order of who's good and who's not quite as good. Right. Oh, absolutely. And there's, you know, sort of jealousy and competition and, um, and then, you know, I think a big thing that I wanted to capture was just the, the giant dreams that everybody has. Oh my gosh. Age where, you know, there's that moment in the movie where it's like, you're going to win an Oscar and you're going to win a Tony and you're going to win a Grammy. And, and just, just that sort of, uh, naive, naive, big dreaming that the things that you're doing at that stage in your life are absolutely on this road to, like just a matter of time, stardom. like yes. just a matter of time. I, I, I work hard. I've got the talent. It's just going to be a smooth sailing. Yes. Um, very our time from uh, that Sondheim show. Which, which one is it? Oh, merrily we roll, oh, merrily along. roll along. Right. Yeah. Uh, you yes. have a Sondheim reference or two in your in your piece. I do. Yes, yeah, because I was... the smart kids got Sondheim back in the day. That's how you showed you were smart. Like if you Absolutely. were into Andrew Lloyd Webber or whatever, they were like, mm. yeah, no, yeah. Let, Lower tier. That's for the masses. Yeah. Come back when you can do Buddy's Blues and not miss yeah. a word. <laughs> yeah. Then we can talk. Um, what I liked is after the murder mystery part happens, they devolve into these conversations. And sometimes they do stupid skits with a video camera, which my friends and I all did. And they pretend to be on the real world. And in these skits, as a filmmaker, you could have made them cleverer than they were. But you allowed them to be dumb. Like... And it was like, oh, that's it. That's what it was like. Like, do you know what I'm asking you? Which is that, like, you don't over-cleverize their dumb improv games because they weren't that clever. We weren't that clever, right? No. No, but you thought you thought each other. Oh, my gosh. We thought it was amazing. the funniest thing we'd ever seen. Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I I was very interested in trying to capture that kind of lightning in the bottle dynamic of drama kids in in high school, which, which, as I remember it, it was like endless improv at the drop of a hat. Oh and yeah. Most of it 
didn't work. And a lot of it were like inside jokes and really obscure things that nobody else would find amusing. But you in your little bubble thought was just the most entertaining thing on the planet. And it, it, it all sort of just became this, uh, this, this nonstop dialogue that could, could rescue actual conversation from going into a place that was uncomfortable by, you know, sort of subverting it with these improv moments. Right. Whenever things get too heavy, we'll do a skit. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Or too intense. But as a writer, I could imagine having to fight the temptation to give them a really funny line here. No, they're not all, not all the jokes are going to land when they're in that, in that mode, which I thought was really um, believable. And there was one point where somebody says, why have none of us ever dated anyone? And I was like, oh, my God, that's my school. Those are my friends, right? Yes, absolutely. No, none of us had boyfriends or girlfriends. Uh, you know, we we were really kind of codependent on each other because dating was terrifying. Right. And it wasn't because we didn't have longings or crushes or urges or whatever. It just felt like a world removed. Um I also love the skinny dipping because on my graduation night, we skinny dipped in my, in my pool, in my house. And it was the most exciting thing that had ever happened. And I was so like, you guys, we can't, you can't, we can't. <laughs> and like one guy, maybe, maybe he even had a beer earlier or whatever. And he was like, we should, like, he just started stirring it up. And it was like four guys and three girls and we all ended up doing it and it was dark. So we're all sort of swimming around and there was like this dangerous edge in the air. And I kept saying, you guys, what if my parents come in? What do we do? What if my parents come out? And somebody's like, well, just act natural. And my friend Tommy goes, you can't get any more natural than this. <laughs> but we pulled it off and it became like this secret thing that happened. And to this day, I'm proud of it. Like to this day, I'm I'm like, yeah, we did that. We skinny dipped. Nobody touched another person. I don't yeah. even think we saw anything. But it was yeah. it was us being naughty drama kids, right? I love that. No, I think yeah. that that's so beautiful, and I think that 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 you know, it's it's like I feel like pushing pushing those boundaries at that age. It is so relevant to your peer group and how you grew up and what, what, what your, you know, what your sort of safe zone was and what it wasn't. And, and I think that particularly when you grow up religiously, uh, you, you have to play a lot of mental gymnastics at that age to, to sort of follow the things that you really want to do that are yeah. exciting to you. But then also you have this, you know, voice in the back of your head of what, is not allowed and what is allowed. And, and I think that, you know, the, uh, a, a, a push and pull moment, like the, like the pool, like your pool, scene, oh my gosh. The pool scene in the movie, it's, it's just, it's just, that's the life of a religious kid, you know, yeah. where you're, you want to do it, but the voice is telling you not to do it. And, and it's this constant mental gymnastics of what is right and what is wrong. And it lingers. It doesn't go away. It's only in the last decade or so that I've kind of gotten over stuff around sexuality. And like, it's maybe, it's, you know, human beings like to have sex and that's part of the way we're built. And what if that's great? Yeah. But, yeah. but if you can't, but you, if you don't know, what if it's just great? That's right. it. 
Yeah, but you shouldn't do like with a lot of no. Stop. It's just great. Calm down. Like I wish I had figured that out like thirty years ago. But um, anyway, amen. amen. Right. <laughs> so I was raised Mormon. You were Catholic. Correct. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Cool. It's sim- lot, some similar, some crossover. Um, yes. Yeah. When you guys had, did you guys have church dances? Mormon dances were the best in my hometown. They were the most fun. I so I went to I went to a Catholic school, uh, first grade through eighth grade, and then I then high school was actually public. So um, that was a real shift to yeah. go out of that parochial space into a public high school. Uh, so I was, but I do remember from middle school the. They they wouldn't even call them dances. They had to call them socials. Right. Sure. <laughs> and uh, you know they were heavily heavily chaperoned. Everyone's just all the parents are just staring at the teenagers. Right. Are all staring at each other in the middle of the hall. Uh, and and yet there was something exciting about like this idea that you needed to step into this new role that you weren't expected to be in before. And that was happening at this dance. Right. Like courtship or, or yes. Attraction or desire or something, uh, romance, um, at the church dances, you could, um, you could slow dance, but you had to be like this with one hand holding and one hand behind yes. at school dances. You could do what's called bear hug, which was, that means all bets are off. But compared to kids nowadays who are like twerking and stuff, it's a total, you know, but at that time it was really edgy. Um, there was a character that had a pen pal that they talked about from another drama school. I think it was the Oscar character, right? Who had the yes. girl from the other school. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. That brought a flood of memories back. I met this girl at a speech trip named Candy Morrison and she became in my mind the girl, the perfect girl, the fantasy figure, like, I think I saw dreams with her with, in slow motion. And we actually wrote letters, really beautiful unicorn stationery. And like, but it was that, that girl from the other place, right? Yes. Yeah. And you could, and, and like, you knew how to do romance, right? Right. And so that was easy. Do You can do that on the phone or through a letter and you never have to do anything physical because that person lives far, far away. Right. And I was so into it, like driven to distraction by it. But the other thing I related to is years, a few years later, I had a gay crush on somebody that was a really good friend, but neither one of us were out and I buried it and I never, never, never said anything. And the years went by, I moved away, never. And I always wonder what if I'd had the courage to have followed those feelings? What could have happened? Right. And that's something that these characters deal with. Absolutely. Do you do you know if that person ever came out? Or yes, that person... they actually came out sooner to me. Oh, and there was a me. moment where we were both out and kind of hanging out, but it never went to that romantic place. I don't think I really wanted it to, or the timing was off, or I didn't have those feelings anymore. But it was, there was a time when we were both, I think, really into it if we had had the courage to act on it. But yeah, I, and I'm still, this person is still in my life. Um, but at the time I was just too afraid. I just, yeah. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. And that's something else that your movie deals with. Like sometimes people aren't ready to take those big steps, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I had, 
I had sort of similar things in my friend group where, uh, you know, I was the, the one, one person I was, I was really in love with without understanding that I was, was straight. And then I had another friend who was gay. Uh, and you know, we were all, we don't, we didn't say anything to each other. We were all completely hid our feelings. And I, I think that something I hadn't really seen before was, or maybe not enough, were when you have two closeted characters that are at very different parts of the journey. Right. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're just, they're waves that are not going to meet because one person is much further along the journey and the other person is not. Right. Not there yet. And this guy that I was into was younger than me, so I didn't want to be responsible for corrupting the younger person with my sin or whatever it is mm-hmm. with this thing that wasn't cool. Um, were there any out kids in your school? There weren't Oh, God. No. 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 So when and I there... see these gay-straight alliances, I'm just kind of in awe of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There were, there were like... I mean, it's funny because all of the people that I know now who are out... You, you know, you, 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 you look back and you're like, of course, Duh, of course right? all of this, you know, of course you were lesbian, right. of course you're gay. You know, it was just, it was, it was, it's fascinating in retrospect, but no, at the time, I, again, I, I, I think it was a combination of location plus early nineties. Like it, it, even the, even the most flamboyant people de- denied it. Right. Outwardly denied it. Right. Because it was so dangerous and taboo. And yeah, I mean, I I remember when I first started teaching, I had a student that was talking about their gay straight alliance at school. And I I literally almost fell off my chair. I was like, you're what? Right. You're what in your high school? I, I just, it was, it was so exciting, but also hard to wrap my brain around what that would have been like to have an actual support system and to have a space where, where, you know, the, the actual people in your high school are saying, yeah, some people are gay and some people are straight and we're all going to support each other. And, you know, it doesn't mean that every, every single person on campus is going to be on board, but just to have any kind of a, a mention of that is, is just wild to me because uh it was just so different back then right and the school itself is okay with it it's not like yes. oh we would meet across the street at this one guy's and nobody could no it's like legit um, yeah, it's a club it's a thing <laughs> um what kind of teaching do you do uh so i teach uh, at the university level uh as a lecturer um and i teach a whole bunch of different subjects so i teach filmmaking i teach screenwriting uh, I teach film studies, and I also teach women's gender and sexuality studies. I love that. That's interesting. So you're dealing with college-age kids all the time, right? Correct, yeah. What have you noticed about how they are compared to the where we, where we are? They seem so, to be more open to diversity of, different, of all kinds, right? Or yes. is that my imagination? Well, I, I no, I agree. I actually feel like, you know, I've... It's only in the past couple of years that I've been getting the Gen Z students. Right. And I definitely have tracked a difference between them and the millennials. And they are um, 
you know, again, these are just my my observations. So yeah, I'm painting with a broad brush. No, I, I think this is really interesting. Yeah, but I find that they read more books. Interesting. I find that they uh, are way more aware of race, class, and gender than the, their previous cohorts. Um, and I I find that they talk about things like mental health in ways that I, I've never seen before. They have the language for it. They have the language for it, yeah. And it's it's honestly been really exciting to interact with them because I um, I feel like I just connect with them more than I did with millennials for whatever that reason is. I, I don't know what it is exactly, but there's something there's something a little more open about Gen Z that gives me a lot of excitement and hope for the future. That's good to hear. Um, I remember going on campus a number of, I don't know, five or 10 years ago to do some event and being around, like there were just college kids around and you could feel the hormones in the air. You could feel like, Oh my gosh. And then I just heard something recently where it said young people aren't having sex like they used to or whatever. What's what's that vibe like? Are people more isolated, obviously, with the pandemic, but are they connecting in that way or is it is it a different vibe than when we were younger? I have no idea what the sex lives are of sure. my, <laughs> my, my Yeah, students. no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, I probably don't want to know. Right. Um, but, you know, I mean, the stuff that I have read, a lot of it, honestly, that I've seen points back, at least, you know, in the studies I've seen, yeah. points back to pornography. Interesting. And pornography, because it's more prevalent and because it's really taught a lot of people about sex, uh, particularly for heterosexual kids, uh, it's such a, it's such a non-indicator of actual sex. Right. It's so different than what might happen on a Friday yes. night with somebody yes. in your dorm. That it, I think it's really scared off a lot. Of right. It's just kind of kids. weirded people out. Yeah. yeah. We'll just play I mean, Dungeons and Dragons and call it a night. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, I'm not too sure. Yeah. I'm not that, that aggressive. I'm, yeah. I don't, that's, <laughs> I don't, like, I don't know yeah. if I can slap her that much. <laughs> oh, wow. You know? Like, it's right. like, oh, okay. Maybe that doesn't have to happen. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm not saying that's the, the sole thing that's going on there, but, and then, you know, I can't, I can't imagine how weird it would be to try to get into the beginning of your life dating and and, and wanting to hook up and everything in the age of social media. It's so weird, right? I think it's and doing texting, a number on people. Yeah. And sexting and right. like, I mean, I, I really feel like it could, it, it would have done a real number on my head yeah. to, to have all of that out there. And, you know, I mean, the, 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 the sort of like worst thing in the world that could have happened to you prior was like, letter in which you're like confessing your heart out or right. you're writing something dirty or whatever. And, you know, it's a, it's a real leap from a letter to a full on video that gets out of your hands and is now being passed around your peer group or you know, I feel like, I feel like the, the, the push pull of the world that we live in is demanding everyone not to be private anymore right. and to be as public with yourself as possible. 
but then also what we're sort of sacrificing in terms of the the benefits of having certain things in your life be private that not everything has to be put on a pedestal i just feel like that push and pull must be really difficult for young people yeah i totally get it so your movie is set in the early 90s i gotta say the vest game uh your vest game is on point it was all about vests right oh my gosh thank how you did so you... much for okay so how did I... you uh choose the vest how many did you choose how why was that important vest go yes yeah okay so so a lot, you know, a lot of first of all, a lot of all this fashion has come back for Gen Z because right. Gen Z is dressing like their parents, who's basically, basically our our age now. And uh, they're they're the one thing I noticed that has not come back are these are these vests. And I went. They were through, so unnecessary. They were completely unnecessary. I went through all of my my photos, my high school photos. And, you know, boys, girls, everybody's, best, everybody's wearing best, these vests. Vests, 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 vests. Vests all over the place. And so I was like, <laughs> oh, I, these vests need to be all over this movie. I want everybody in a vest whenever I can get them in a vest. Because we Where did you find your vest? vest? I know. Um, my costume designer sourced them, actually. Right. A lot of them came from the Paramount um, uh, costume department. Right. They might have uh, even been in Clueless. You never know if those vests were in Clueless. <laughs> Um, how did you? I get hope your, they were. I know they were really on point. How did you get your movie made? Um, how long had it, did it take you, and and how did it all come together? Uh, yeah. So, uh, unsurprisingly, a a coming of age film about repressed drama kids was a hard sell, and, and so right. I I you know I have a couple friends uh, that that went through crowdsourcing to make their first features. Andrew Ron, uh, Shaz Bennett, James Sweeney, who's actually a former student of mine. Uh, and so I was like, I'm just going to take a page from their books. And I sat down with them and asked them how they did it and did the same thing with this. I did a Kickstarter and, uh, you know, I feel like particularly with queer features, especially if it's your first feature, it's just hard to get funding for those things, no matter what kind of, people you have behind you like i went through the sundance laps with with d reese and she had you know spike lee is an executive producer she still couldn't find any money for her movie wow now were you guys it, both uh fellows in the thing at the same time or was she leading it or something or are you said no yeah she was in the screenwriting no she was in the directing lab when i was in the screenwriting lab. right so you guys were peers yeah. yeah and and you know it just blew my mind that she had all of this she had she had all of the right right elements to make that feature, and she still couldn't find any money for it. They were like right. black lesbian, no, <laughs> right? They weren't having it. No, no, thank you. And so she, you know, she turned it to Kickstarter to 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 help fund that movie. And so I I feel like particularly for queer features, I I think crowdsourcing is just your best bet to to get that feature made because you're going to find people in your community who are like, I want to see more movies about queer people. I want to see, you know, stories I haven't seen before and, and uh, convincing a production company to, to give you money for something like that. It's just a harder ask. I love it. Well, you pulled it off. What was your most um, fun reward? Did you give people vests if they donated like a hundred dollars? <laughs> Did you get like a nineties nine hundred two one zero vest? No, <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, r- rule rule number one with crowdfunding is uh, not 
not giving rewards where you have to spend the money that you have collected right. on. <laughs> and try not to so, mail anything. Try to make yes. it like digital, whatever. Yes. I got you. Digital, digital rewards. Yes, yes. That's the way to go. Um, uh, you made a short film that I found online and I checked out called a doll's eyes, uh, about your obsession as a kid with the movie jaws. Um, talk about that. Like, like you saw jaws when, when you were, you got it from the library and became kind of obsessed, right? Yes. Yeah. It, this was a film that I, that I had sort of had in me. It's the only documentary I've ever made. And it was, uh, it, there was just something about my experience with Jaws and how it sort of played out over time that I really wanted to make. And the actual film that the script that I wrote for it, where it was all recreations, I knew I wanted to do recreations of the events uh, I filmed it and then, you know, my editor cut it together and then we started and it was all about sort of Freud and Lacan and it was very heady and, right. and, it, and I showed it to people and people were like, there's something behind all of this. Like you're right. talking around what's going there's on. There's an here. elephant in the room, but I can't figure out what it is. Yes. Yeah. Right. And and sort of the realization that is part of the film is that it, it's it's really sort of tied to queer shame, to my shame that I had as, you know, someone that was gay growing up and the sort of fears that I had and how much that this film really, which is, you know, about hidden fears, really connected with me and 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 tapped into that, that kind of... Uh, that fear, that fear of this thing underneath you that you don't want coming out that, right. you know, that you're trying to like sort of keep down. And so I made a decision to just rework the entire movie with this discovery of what it was really about. Uh, so it was, it's a very unusual process because it's not, I mean, I think it's, you know, it, to some extent we don't really know what we're making until the thing is done. Um, but that film in particular it just was not what I thought it was going right. to be. Right. It took a turn all. when you realized, oh, this is really about this, and I should acknowledge yeah. it. Um, yeah. You're not the first person I've heard of that had a reaction to Jaws where they couldn't swim or go in the ocean for a while. I wonder if anyone's ever gone up to Spielberg and said, you know what? This really did a number on me for like 30 years. Like, he must have heard that. It must be oh, weird to hear oh, that, I right? Am, I, am, I am positive. I am positive. There's, I mean, well, you know, there's so many people that have shared stories with me about how they didn't go into the water or even into pools, like swimming right. pools. I had this, I had this one person that was like, I was afraid it was going to come out of the drain. And another person was like, I was afraid it was going to break through the wall of the pool of the swimming pool. As absurd as that is, it just shows you how powerful the, 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 that, that film was in, in really putting a fear of sharks in people forever. Yeah. So I hope he has a few guilty feelings, maybe picks up, maybe <laughs> pays for dinner for people that tell him in a restaurant that, yeah, because it's a lot. It's not the same as like, wow, I had a nightmare that night. No, for 40 years, I couldn't go in the water. Hope you're happy. I mean, people said the same thing about uh, uh, Psycho, the shower yeah. sequence, that people were like, I, I stopped taking showers or yeah. I stopped closing the curtain or <laughs> it's, you know, it, it just shows you that when a horror film really taps into a primal fear like that, it's, it's, uh, 
it can it can really actually change people's behavior, which is fascinating. For sure. So it is it is a badge of honor, though it might it'd be a bummer to hear it from people in airports. A badge of trauma. Honor. <laughs> exactly. Um, so let's talk about your cast. They're so winning. Um, do you enjoy the casting process? Did you like, were you looking like, oh, that girl reminds me so much of that girl I went to high school with? Or like, what was that process like of like casting these people that were kind of part of your own life back in the day? Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm kind of odd when it comes to casting and that I still have my theater background with me when I cast and I don't think of looks and I just, I just want the best actor for the role. And so I didn't, I didn't really go in with types where I was like, Oh, this person needs to look like this one friend of mine. Right. It was really more, uh, can this, can this person embody the role in a way that feels totally natural to who they are? Right. And, um, I had these great casting directors make Mormon and Sunday bowling who, were theater people themselves. And so they like got these kids big time in terms of the characters. And they brought in so many amazing young actors here in Los Angeles who were, you know, just, just throwing themselves into the roles. And I was, you know, very, very adamant that they would feel playful and, and, and do that sort of improv thing as natural as possible. And, I just, yeah, it was just fun. It was so much fun seeing young actors, so much young talent. And then, you know, the one thing that was tricky is that we didn't have the time or the budget to do chemistry casting where we bring people in just to read off right, of one to another. see how they click. And so the one challenge that I had was to just sort of imagine what these people would all look like together and how they would act as a group uh, because we didn't, we couldn't build that in the room and we couldn't rehearse them you know so uh i lucked out really with that aspect because you're moving headshots around on a table and exactly yes it's like well i guess she might go with him you're cutting out faces and putting it on the breakfast club poster to exactly (laughs) Um, exactly i one of your actors i had seen before and i couldn't remember how i'm like how do i know that guy and it's um nico from so you think you can dance one of my favorite shows oh yeah yeah Yeah, i was like that guy and then i kind of figured it out because i love that show and I always love following those dancing kids. But he's a terrific he is, actor. Yeah, he's the sweetest guy. He, you know, as you know, he he grew up as a dancer, not as a not as a theater kid. He, yes. he dedicated everything in his life to dance. And he was he had done he had definitely done uh, you know a lot of um, projects prior to Dramarama, but Dramarama was a real opportunity for him to play a role that he had never played before. And it was just so much fun working with him because he, he, he really, he just went for it. Like he was like hook, line and sinker in, in for the win. He did like a ton of research. Uh, and yeah, it was just a, it was just a joy to work with him. I think sometimes when you get an actor who gets to do something they don't normally get to do. It's just a real joy as a director to watch them blossom because, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of watching, you're watching, not, you're not, you're not watching someone sort of phone it in because they know, Oh, this is what I do with these kind of roles. You're watching them explore. And that's really exciting to me. He has a scene where he gets emotional and it made me cry because he really, it's heartbreaking. 
um, he's kind of caught in a lie, and it's it's just it's just really moving. Um, I wrote down a line of dialogue that I think is in your movie, but sometimes my notes are a little weird. Did does somebody say pardon my French, but f that guy? <laughs> that is the most brilliant line. Like that is so drama. Like we're going to be a little edgy, but we're not even really going to say the f word. But we're also going to apologize for it. Like that line is so brilliant in its conception for what that time was like. Like. It, it was. It's the time in your life, at least where I was growing up with the Mormons, that if that if somebody swore one night, you would be like, "Remember that night back in February when she said S?" Like you would remember that. It's so important, all of that stuff. A hundred percent. I'm so glad that you you got that. It's a. It's a. It, again, it's it's. I, I keep calling them the mental gymnastics that you had to play, where you're you're you go to the edge and then you're like, "Oh no, this is." too far or somebody crossed the line and you're going to call them out for crossing the line. Uh, and again, it's the minutia of what is sort of quote unquote right and wrong. You're and, always under the microscope, always being judged. Yes. If not by the people around you, then by God, who's got yep. a tote board. Yeah. I was doing really good on the tote board, except for masturbating. I really, <laughs> fucking, and I felt so bad about that for so long. It was crazy. So much masturbation. Oh yeah. To, but to not, maybe not the quantity, but the idea that I couldn't kick it. And that was the one thing I was doing wrong or bad or whatever. But you're always like, you're trying to be a, the, a good kid, right? Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Oh, so it's crazy. And then another one calls, uh, apologizes to another character for call. I called you a bitch in my head. Like, <laughs> did you even really say it? I just, I just love the way these kids are like, uh, their edginess is so not edgy at all. And that's just, it's just so sweet and charming. And um, I love it. So um, you also had another movie I, I watched online called Adjust a Dream with Tom DeTrinis, who was a previous guest on the show. Uh, I love Tom so much. Um, it's two gay guys favorite. shopping for a mattress together. It's it's a very sweet, um, but also kind of like uh, awkward kind of vibe like are they gonna make it does this couple belong together meanwhile they're shopping for a mattress meanwhile there are these two lesbians that are just flopping on a bed they've got all the answers they were meant to be together and i've i've done that thing where you look at this other couple and go why are they so perfect and happy and in love and flopping on the bed those lesbians got it all figured out but what inspired you to write the story of the two guys shopping for a mattress yeah that that was actually it actually was based off of uh, an experience I had with a, a an ex of mine uh, where it, we were, you know, we were moving in together and there were a lot of sort of jitters about going into that next stage and a lot of uncertainty. And uh, I just, re I just remember the, um, you know, just sort of the, the, the fears that were all kind of bubbling underneath taking that next step into commitment and whether or not it was going to work out. And, um, and yeah, that was sort of the, the inspiration of, of making the film. And there's also just something weird about the mattress shopping experience where you're supposed to pretend to. <laughs> right. You're sort of trying out the most intimate thing you do at yes. home. Like yeah. and you, you walk like, into a store and there's just somebody laying this. there. Yeah. It's, yeah. It is and a little surreal. Yeah. And we're supposed to have amazing sleep, you know, right. in this as well. And neither of those things you can actually do in the store. And the other thing is, I don't think you can get a real good vibe for 
how it's going to be as a bed in a store when you're just laying there for five minutes. I no. this feeling of like I'm doing this, but I'm still going to make the wrong decision, and I'm yes. in, a, in a week I'm going to wish it wasn't my bed, and but, I'm going to pay a lot of money for this piece <laughs> of furniture. <laughs> exactly. Um, in Drama Rama, of course, there's a girl that pines for the gay guy. I feel like there should be a holiday. You know how they have like Secretary's Day. There should be a holiday for girls who fell in love with gay guys that were in the closet. Uh, that is such a brilliant idea. Muffins. Su- maybe they, they get muffins. That. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. I don't know what it's called. But it struck me that there isn't the reverse. There isn't this like army of straight guys who fell in love with lesbians and then they just could never get them. I feel no, maybe there's like one, but I feel like that's not a common dynamic. It, well, I think because there's anger when that happens, which right. is which never goes away, which is a toxic problem. Right. That's whereas, true. They, they hit a wall and get over they it. They hit a wall. And yes, get over yeah. it. They put their yeah. fist through a wall and get over it, whereas the other stuff's more lingering. And, oh, I want you to be happy, but I want you to love me. But I, ugh. Those, yeah. They need a muffin basket. They need a holiday. <laughs> All of it. Yeah. That struck me. Um I support it. Thank you. We'll sign that petition. You had a Sundance adventure. You mentioned this before. I I always look at those things, and I, I've applied to similar things sometimes, and they look really neat. Was it super fun? Was it awesome? Oh, so- oh my gosh. It's amazing. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, what's so, what's so amazing about the labs is that, you know, you're, you're up deep working with a lot of incredible advisors that they bring into it, but the entire atmosphere is free to fail and it's, it's not about the product at all. It's all about pushing your limits and trying new things. And some days it's, it doesn't work. And some days it does work. And you're just given all of these incredible resources and ideas from many different walks of life to just work on your art and, uh, and, you know, and do it like, in a, a beautiful setting on the top of a mountain. like So you're, you're up in Utah. How long are you there for? You're there. So the Screeners Lab is short. The Screeners Lab is, um, I think, four or five days. Right. Uh, but the, the Director's Lab is a month. And you were in the – which one were you in? Both. Oh, you were in both? Yeah. Were, were you developing Drama-Rama there or working on other projects? No. No, yeah. I was working on a different project yeah. called All Fall Down, and it was during the financial crisis. Right. <laughs> and I, I could never get that project off the ground. Right. It was, it was just not – it was not something people would want, to, would want to fund at that time. So your advice to people considering applying for those Sundance things is do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of like winning the lottery because it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just a, it's just a, an indie, an indie filmmaker's dream scenario to be in. Um, but you know, I also feel like it's, it's important to know that there's a ton of projects that go through those labs, including mine that don't get made. Yeah. It's not a ticket to anything, but did you bond with the other people? I think that would be the coolest part about it. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. I love it. I love it. All right, you picked some uh, questions from the observation deck, so I'm going to fire them away. W- have you ever written a fan letter or email or anything like that? Yes. So when I was a kid, i I wrote to Linda Evans. Of course, you did. <laughs> and I wrote. I wrote to her saying. <laughs> 
<laughs> I wrote to her saying that I wanted uh, that my mother was a big fan of Dynasty. Of right. course, I, I, I projected this onto my mother. Of course, she did. <laughs> and and that you know, could she get? Could she, could she send an autographed photo for my mom's birthday? Right. And so she sent two, and the second one uh, was to me, and it said, "Jonathan, you're a very sweet boy." That's amazing. She saw right through your ruse. Oh, yes. She saw right through it. Yeah. She was like, oh, this kid's gay. Crystal Carrington had Gator through the mail. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, that makes me love her so much. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was delightful. Did your mother love the, the, the picture? Was it a oh, hit? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was yeah. a total hit. It was yes. a total hit. So you were a Crystal uh, kid, not an Alexis kid. Oh, yeah. I loved both for different reasons. Sure. Right. I want I want both. Right. All right. Yes. You want both. You, there is no point in having a crystal if there isn't an Alexis. Yes. We all absolutely. have both inside us. I think that's yes. what we're all trying would, to say. It would be boring without the other. Do you still have the picture? Does this still exist? Gosh, you know, it, I, I, it must be somewhere. I haven't seen it in a long time, but right. it, it's got to be somewhere. You mean you can't walk away from the Zoom window and bring it right back to me? I wish. <laughs> I wish. I wish. I, should, I really should yeah. find it and get it framed. Because I a- got to interview Linda Evans a few years ago at the Santa Monica Library. She had a book out. And what struck me about her, she was cool, and I really enjoyed talking to her, is that she sort of stayed close to all her past lovers, like Don oh. Derek. And, like, that was kind of a cool thing about her life is that she, like, she she kept people in her life that she had been intimate with and, and, and like... She- was able to make those transitions and in a way that she valued, which I thought was admirable. That shows she is very mature and mentally well-balanced, I feel like. Right. <laughs> exactly. Because she's the kind of lady that would send two headshots. All right. What movie did you see when you were way too young to see it? You know, my parents thought it was a great idea <laughs> to rent Poltergeist when I was, you know, when it first came out. Right. And... Um, I remember that we were eating Stouffer's pizza right. because I have such a disgusting reaction. Like, you can't with Stouffer's. You can't. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm now, you know, forever seeing a man, like, tearing the skin off of his face while I'm eating a Stouffer's pizza. Like, it, it, was, it was definitely – I mean, it's funny because that film was rated PG – we were never allowed to see anything worse than PG and there's no way in hell that that film would have been rated PG now. Like it, it was that weird window in the early eighties where ratings were a little wonky, you know, where yeah. there would be like full frontal male nudity and it was G. Right. You just didn't it know. Like, it was like, oh, it's okay. It was just, it's just some penis. It's, it's a G film. It's, and there's no sex. I would argue that Poltergeist is scarier at home because it's about the TV, oh, right? Oh my God. Yeah. You, when you're watching it on the TV, it's just, it's too you're much. You're in your family's house yeah. and it's, and it, and it has all the, all the accoutrements that you're watching in this movie and yeah. you're watching this little girl get sucked into yeah. this other, oh my God. Once again, was, Spielberg behind it. Spiel, yes, That's exactly. Fucker. That, he's really he traumatized me <laughs> really multiple did. times. He, yeah, he should have to send you a muffin basket. Um, <laughs> but, uh, tell people how they can see Dramarama. Yeah, so you can see Dramarama uh, on any of your platforms. You can rent it on Amazon or iTunes or you know, Apple TV, Google Play. It's also on Tubi now, I believe. I love it. Uh, I don't I believe that Tubi is, like... is a thing, but I will take your word for it. 
Uh, it's like ad-based. You have to watch ads. Oh, all right. That's all right. But that means it's free. It's you free. You just have to. It's like old, old-timey yeah. TV. My friend Danny and I have created a fictional streaming platform called Sporkle. And when we're out and about, we try to convince people that it's real. Like, we'll just have a conversation of ourselves. Like, well, I watched it on Sporkle, but you should get it. It's only uh, $3.95 <laughs> a month. Yeah. And so we start – now we're developing shows that can be on Sporkle. So Tubi is the new Sporkle. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, since Drama Rama has been out and, and people have been able to watch it and festivals and stuff, I'm sure you're hearing from people that are like, that's me, right? Like oh, that yeah. was my, in a way that hasn't really, we haven't really quite seen that yet, the drama kid thing, right? What has yeah. that been like? It's, it's, it's really exciting, you know, because you're, you, you make something that have elements in it that are really extremely detailed and you're like i don't know this might be way too specific for what i'm putting out there and then to have someone watch it and you know either they were religious or they're a drama kid or they were both and to have someone message you and and just be like i've never seen anything that was this close to my growing up experience before it's very it's just exciting it's it's validating and exciting and you know, I think that's the nice thing about independent film is that uh, most independent films are not trying to reach the the the, the masses like a Marvel movie is. Right. You know, you're you're like, no, I just want to do something where I'm reflecting my niche, and I'm hoping that my niche finds this. Right. I like uh, it. Yeah, and. Yeah, so far so good, which is awesome. Did you get to meet many people in person, or were you doing a lot of this stuff during the pandemic? Uh, no, the like the whole thing was pandemic until the theatrical release this summer, right? Which I got to go in New York and LA. I got to go to most of those screenings and talk to people afterwards, which was great. Yeah, and see it in a movie theater for the first time, which was great. Uh, but you know, typically when I had you know, my previous short films, I would travel all over the place. Right. That's part of the fun. That's why you do it. Yeah. You meet filmmakers and you meet audience members and you you hang out and it's, it's just such a great community. And, you know, because of the pandemic, everything was online. So yeah. it was it was a real bummer. It's I not gotta... the same as going to Fresno and deciding to call it the Frez and staying <laughs> at the free hotel that they send you to and like eating pizza with your friends. It's the best. Right. Now your short film, um, are you are you able to watch either of those online? So both of them you can you can rent through Vimeo. Oh, right on. Uh, they're also, I think, on Reverie. Right on. That, that which is a, a streaming service. Um, That's the gay streaming service. Yes, which is a real correct. thing. It's not like Sparkle. It, it actually it's exists. Not, it, it should be called Sparkle. I know, right? Let's be honest. I know, They're right? Doing a disservice. I know. We got to get our logo going for Sparkle if we're really going to take <laughs> us to the next level. Um, before I let you go, I did want to bring up one thing. I love the ending of your movie, Drama Rama, and I don't know how 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 much you like to talk about it. If you consider it a spoiler. But um, for people that that might watch this afterwards, can you say a little bit about why you chose what you chose, maybe without giving it away or whatever you're comfortable with? Because I thought that was really cool. Sure. You know, again, I did not come out of the closet. None of my friends did. That was our reality. And I love coming out movies. There's so many of them, obviously. 
but I felt like there should at least be one coming out movie where the character's just not ready yet, and that's okay. <laughs> a coming out movie where he doesn't come out. Yeah, where it's like, it's like, no, I'm not ready. This isn't the right time or the right, right. environment, and it's just not going to happen, and that's the end of the movie. And, <laughs> yep. and, and you still know that he will come out, right. and you'll know that he's going to be okay, and it's going to be, you know, a journey, and... And, and so I, I, I didn't feel like the ambiguity was going to be misread, if that makes sense. No, like, uh, like there's something wrong with it and like you're sending a bad message or anything like that. No, no, no. You're reflecting the way that it was for, for people in that time and your own experience. And, and he also gets a window into, to who's kind of onto him and who it's okay with without having to say yes. it. And those grace notes, I think, really add a lot. Because I think we can all look back on our lives and go, oh, you know what? They were sending me a little message right then. And, yeah. you know. I think particularly, you know, the Ally character, who's sort of the wisest. Of, oh, yeah. She's seen it all. She gets it. She's yeah. seen it all. And yeah. I feel like a lot of gay men have an alley in their lives yeah. where they're like, Oh, she knew all along. Yeah, she, they, was, <laughs> she, she was Linda Evans sending she, the two. She knew before, yeah. She was Linda Evans. Exactly. <laughs> she, she knew before I knew. Right. No, they are. They are like to them. It's like, mm, whatever. And to you, it's like the most terrifying fraught angsty. Oh man. Seeing your movie yeah. brought up those feelings of like, Oh, people are feeling always like every movie is going to be analyzed. And the other thing I think about when I see young movies, how much time we all spend on our hair, how much we thought about our hair. Like, I, I wish I could have those, that time back. I, I wish I could have the time I spent thinking about my hair. Cause as an adult, I never, and it shows, I never think about it and it shows. All right. This was super fun talking to you. I hope oh, we get to meet in person. I hope everyone watches drama Rama. It's really special. And if, if you were a theater kid, it's really, really going to relate to you. Final question. Why do you make movies? Uh, they're they're in my head and I want to get them out. So oh, I, that's so good. They have to get out. Yeah, they have to get out. I've and had anybody, that before. Anybody out there that you know has something in their head that wants to get out, like you just got to you got to do it. You got to take action and do it. Because if you don't, it it's kind of like nagging you. It's like it just kind of eats at you, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Some of the things I've worked on were like that, where I don't know if it'll go anywhere. I don't know if it'll open a single door or professionally, but it, I need to, I need it to exist. I need it to get yeah. out of my head and, and somewhere else. All right. And you have a website too, right? I do. People, it's yeah. just Jonathan I'm on Twitter at Wysocki Jonathan. <laughs> there it is. You flipped it. I yeah. love it. All right. Sometimes you have to flip it. I think I had to flip it. I'm, I, ha- I did. I'm I, Hensley Dennis, take, I think on Twitter. Yeah. The, they wouldn't let me take Jonathan Waisaki, even though I can yeah. find no Jonathan Waisaki on Twitter. Really? There's a yeah. phantom one. There's a phantom one. Yeah. All right. I yeah. bet Spielberg's behind that as well. That asshole. I know. It's enough. Thank you for finally saying it. <laughs> I, I know. I know. Pardon my French. Trauma, Pardon my French, but F that guy. <laughs> that is my favorite line. Pardon my French, but F that guy is so high school uh, Christian drama geek uh, things. All right. Bye, Jonathan. It was so fun to talk to you. Thanks again to Jonathan Wysocki. Check out his movie, Drama Rama. You will be glad you did. All right, so this happened. Well, it was Valentine's Day recently, and over the weekend, I did two very love-centric things. On Saturday night, I went to see a show called Tasty Words um, in Santa Monica, 
Uh, over the pandemic, you know, I've been hosting these virtual game nights of You Don't Know My Life, and one of the people that would book multiple games was this woman named Wendy Hammers, who is an actress and writer and just really fun person. And I'd never gotten to meet her in person. So she hosts these storytelling evenings and she was having one and I finally got to meet her in person after two years of playing virtual games with her. So it was uh, a night kind of based on when Harry met Sally and she would have these real couples come on and tell how they met. And it was very romantic and some of the stories were really sweet and heartwarming and some were like dark and one poor couple lost a child and it just had all of the colors but it was very much like romantic love, romantic love, romantic love. And very fun. I enjoyed it. I could have uh, I could have listened to the stories all night. They were great. So the next day, I took part in a proposal flash mob. My friend Benjamin Allen, who was one of my early guests on Dennis Anyone, uh, he's a hip-hop teacher and choreographer, and now he works for Apple Fitness, one of the trainers on their platform. Um, he, I call him my personal ambassador of joy, and he was going to propose to his boyfriend, Paul. Now, Paul had previously proposed to Ben, but I think they had a deal where they were both going to propose at some point. So um, Benji planned this dance class that was just going to seem like a regular dance class because Paul goes to Benji's dance class. That's how they met. And then at a certain point, it was going to turn into a flash mob and a proposal. So um, there were like 60 or 80 people involved in this uh, flash mob proposal and we had rehearsals there were different groups you were either in the a group or the b group and you did all this stuff it was very well organized and all of us had to not blab and blow the secret to paul so we did our rehearsal we learned our moves and all that stuff and it was really fun and then the morning uh of uh sunday we did our dance class and i just remember at a certain point in the regular warm-up everyone's doing the regular warm-up moves the music just like stops and breaks and this other song starts and now it's on. And I just remember going into that going, oh my gosh, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So um, it was magical. And it was so fun to watch Paul's face uh, as he clued into what was happening. And then the, the whole thing lasted like 10 or 11 minutes. It was long. There were different songs and mixes and it would go into this. And then this, you know, garage door thing would open and he would go outside and all of these other people were there. People had flown in to be there and friends and family and Benji did the signs like in Love Actually with their story and very sweet. And um, it's actually up on YouTube, I think. I will post it to the Dennis Anyone Facebook page so you can see the the extravaganza of it. But um, it was wonderful. It was wonderful to be a part of it. And I, you know, I am not seeing anyone right now. I've been single for quite a while. I'm kind of like pretty much always been single with a few years in there with, with different relationships. But... I did not feel that bummed about it. I thought it was, I was really happy for these other people, but I didn't feel like, oh, when is it going to be my turn? I do want to see Marry Me with J-Lo. I mean, I'm not that far gone, but I, I, I felt like I was in a healthy place around all of it. Open to it, but not like, oh, they found the good thing and I don't have the good thing. I think I have the good thing too. I think there's different kinds of good things. That's the takeaway. And I'm not just saying that. I, like, I actually kind of felt it. So there you go. That's it. My Valentine's Day message to the people out there listening. So that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, happy late Valentine's Day to everybody. Go see Drama Rama. And we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.